Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. 2023 has been a hell of a year for singer-songwriter Noah Kahn. Just three years ago, he started uploading snippets of his indie folk songs to TikTok while waiting out the pandemic at his dad's house in rural Vermont. Those songs quickly caught fire across social media and eventually turned into Noah's most recent album, Stick Season. And after releasing collaborations with Casey Musgraves, Hozier, and Post Malone, Noah's amassed 4 billion streams globally. It's no surprise that last month he was nominated for the Best New Artist Grammy. But while Noah's often called the breakout star of the year, he's actually not a music industry rookie. He signed to Republic Records in 2017, initially working as a songwriter in New York, where he learned the intricacies of writing pop music. It wasn't until the music industry shut down in 2020 that he was able to apply those techniques he learned as a songwriter to his own work as a singer-songwriter. On today's episode, Leah Rose talks to Noah Khan about navigating his often overwhelming newfound success and how he feels about being labeled the new quote-unquote sensitive woodsman singer-songwriter du jour. Noah also opens up about initially being embarrassed about his singing voice and his plans for evolving his sound on his next album. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Leah Rose's conversation with Noah Kahn. When you were writing Stick Season, did you have any overarching guiding principles? You know, I think like in hindsight, it's always easy to say like, I wanted to write about loneliness during a lonely time or... um, I, I think like I had been feeling lonely for a lot of my life and that was just kind of finding its way into my music. And I was in Vermont and that found its way into my music. I, I definitely didn't walk in with any 
you know, intention of like a theme besides that I wanted to write about what I was going through at that point in my life and my relationship with my home state, my hometown, with my family and with myself at that time. It was like kind of just in real life on my mind and and really like a pervasive part of, of my experience day to day. And I think what my overarching goal was just to have an outlet for that. And that ended up being the start of, you know, the concept for the record, essentially. And so what was your situation like? What was the setup during the pandemic? Were you suddenly like back home in the house that you grew up in with your family? Like, yeah, pretty much. Like I, you know, I grew up in New Hampshire and Vermont and we moved to this place in Vermont when I was halfway through high school. And so it kind of was like my childhood home. And in many ways, I, we'd had the property my entire life since long before I was born. So it was a place that I was, you know, considered my childhood home or like, you know, a, a very familiar place for me that I had a lot of, you know, memories and different attachments to. Um, I was living in New York and was like really lost at that point in my life, like just kind of burning out pretty hard with music. And I, I for some reason, never felt like a New Yorker. I lived there. I mean, you know, I only lived there for at that point for about a year. Um, but I never felt like I belonged. I felt like it was my first day there every single day I was in the city. Um, wow. And, you know, the, the pandemic, you know, that, that one week in March, I remember, you know, getting one of those hoax texts that I was like, the governor or the mayor is about to close the borders to the city. Like, you need to get out. And you press on the link and it's like, it was actually a picture of a guy's dick is what it was. You <laughs> pressed the link. But I, I, uh, <laughs> I had, I had pressed the link. Me and my older brother was in town. We were like, fuck it. We, ran, we literally ran for the hills and, Drove to Vermont that night, got home. We're like, okay, like they weren't closing the borders, but it probably was a good time to get back. So we we got home and uh, we don't. I don't go back to New York until I move my stuff out in August of 2020. And I was home for about a year and a half. So I really, I went right back to the, my parents' house. My parents split up and it became my dad's house. And we have like a barn with like a little studio, a little like a, an apartment above it. And my dad was like, hey, like, while you're figuring what you want to do out and like, well, fi- the world is figuring what what's going to happen out, like, you can stay up there rent free. And so my dad let me stay up in the barn. And that kind of became like where I made all my music and where I did these Instagram live streams and where I, um, you know, started to really like digest my experience and start making the album. How old were you at that point? So 2020, I was, this is 2023, I'm 26 now. This is why I should have gone to college. I'm trying to do the math in my head. It's literally 26 minus three. Uh, I was 22, <laughs> 23 years old. I think I was 23 at the start of the pandemic. Did that feel at that point, like moving back home? Like, how did that feel? Honestly, like, it felt amazing. Yeah. And I hate to like to speak positively about what was like such a terrible time, uh, just generally for the world and for millions of people. Um, but in a kind of a fucked up way, like it was just, it felt like this escape from this really monotonous style of life I was living. And it, it felt so refreshing. I think like I spend so much of my time as a musician and as someone that has like a very untraditional job, feeling like I'm living like an imposter's life. Like everyone's going to work and I'm kind of like grabbing a coffee at 2 p.m. and starting to try to write songs. Yeah. Stepping away and going on my phone for two hours. And I always kind of felt like I was moving in slow motion and everybody was moving at regular speed. And and suddenly like the pandemic felt like uh, it brought everybody to the same speed for one second. And that's a very rare thing. And for me, it was so rare to feel connected to people that were around me. I felt this dis- disconnected from everyone, from my friends and from my family and, and from even other musicians. Cause I couldn't relate to my friends because they weren't musicians and they were working, you know, different jobs and a different, you know, equally complicated and difficult, but abstract to me lifestyle. 
And I couldn't relate to the musicians because it, for some reason, it always like talking to other musicians always created this feeling of anxiety within me, like just this feeling of otherness, this feeling of feeling left out of some shared experience that all the other musicians were having together, whether that's just an insecurity, probably. But I still felt it. And so I felt like I was stuck, stuck between two different styles of life. And when the pandemic hit in that first you know, few months of my family being back home and everyone being like, what the fuck are we going to do? And the musicians being like, what the fuck are we going to do? And the finance and tech people being like, what the fuck are we going to do? It just felt unifying in like a weird way. And, and it made me feel like I finally had some even footing with the world. And that was strangely really nice for me, despite um, how challenging it was for other reasons. Is it different now the way that you feel towards other musicians? Have you found people that you're able to relate to more? Yes. And I and I think a lot of it's 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 been a result of me making the effort and accepting that I might feel anxious or insecure and trying to power through that because there's not a lot of people that relate to what's going on in my in my life right now. And and some of the only people I can relate to are people that have been through it. And I have to force myself to be willing to hear them and to accept their perspectives and to try to learn from it. It all came from me, you know. It was all me facing the insecurity of of trying to relate to people that I've typically had a hard time relating to. And and it's made it a lot easier to kind of have those conversations now, having those first few conversations of being willing to sit down and talk to somebody and and be vulnerable with somebody that, you know, might understand it. It's been a really cool and eye-opening experience for me this past year and a half, two years. Uh, It's been very helpful. In fact, very crucial in a lot of in a lot of ways. Did it change the way that you wrote songs when you were back home? It did. It really did because I was writing songs in New York just because I wanted to fill time and I wanted to feel like I had a job. And I was you could hear it in the songs. It was, you know, pop songwriting is just there's a real formula to it for better or for worse. And a lot of sessions, you know, you sit down and you talk to somebody and and you pretend like you're having a normal conversation, but you're both looking for a hook in what everyone's saying and or a concept. And then you identify it and sit down and write about it and fulfill the concept and write a verse and a chorus and a verse and a bridge and a drop chorus and a chorus. And it, it just, there is a real formula to it that for me was becoming monotonous and mind numbing. And, and by the time I got home to Vermont, I was so sure that the music industry would never come back, but I was like, I'm going to write the way I like to write. And that is, you know, not having a concept, sitting down and writing about what I'm feeling, trying to come up with stories and trying to be creative in, in a way that doesn't stick to a certain concept that might not even relate to me. Just writing about anything that I feel in the moment, stepping away if I don't want to fucking do it anymore and coming back a week later and sitting down when I'm feeling inspired again, going on my own pace and yeah. being willing to just make whatever made me happy in that moment. It's very difficult to control a song in a songwriting session in that way because... You're working with people that have a, have a motivations of their own and have schedules of their own. And, and you really have to, to me, it felt like I was sacrificing some of the process for other people. Um, and that was a terrible feeling. Yeah. Were you working with like big named artists like anyone we would know? Or are you allowed to say? I was working with incredible songwriters. Yeah. Incredible songwriters. Some of the best in the world who have written beautiful songs that are clearly heartfelt and full of emotion and full of grounded, real feelings and have written huge hits. You know, I could have written with Max Martin. It would have sounded like I made it with my next door neighbor or something. You know, it didn't. Everything I was making was colored by my own burnout right, and right. by my uh, my lack of passion and my feeling of you know exhaustion of 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 being a songwriter. Uh, it was like every song to me had the same color to it, and I think that is it's really like a symptom of depression in a lot of ways. Like you know, every single thing feels the same, 
And I look back at some of these songs, like, you know, those songs actually had a lot of life in them in a lot of ways. And some of those songs are really great. And I listen back, and I'm like proud of those songs, more proud than I ever was in a moment. And I think it was just, you know, it was really a statement about my state of my state of my mind and my emotions at that time that made those songs feel, you know, the same, regardless of what I was working with. When you're writing a new song, do you have an idea of where the inspiration comes from? Like, does it feel like it comes from outside of you or does it feel like it's more internal and making its way out? Yeah, I think it's more internal and making its way out. It's very rarely a conscious thing. I feel as if I'm writing because it feels good in the moment and I look back and I'm like, oh, that's because of that thing that happened or that's because I've been feeling like this for the past few weeks uh, and I don't realize it until after which is kind of fun because it feels like you don't have to do the work of feeling bad about how you're feeling and then making the song. It's like, you just make the song and then you think about how bad you're feeling later. <laughs> it's kind of a nice, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of like a get out of jail free card for feeling emotions, which is kind of cool. And how quickly does it cause relief? Is it like as soon as you put a line down, do you start to feel a little bit of the pressure release? No, totally. I think just one line can make the whole difference. And then there are songs that I've heard that I'm like, I don't even like the rest of the song. It's that one line that I'm, so connected to uh, and that happens with me all the time if i write a you know may, sometimes i'm like this verse is fine i might as well keep going because it has a good melody or a good chord progression and then the chorus i'm like this is why it's good like, that line is enough for me to love the whole song and it and it really does create like an instant sense of relief to feel uh to feel that a line can even just five words can encapsulate how you're actually feeling it's, it's cool that's what's so special about songwriting that's that so great you never know when that relief is going to come and it's exciting and it's um kind of like gambling you know because you know you have to put so much emotional so much emotion into something and, and you don't know how it's going to turn out but when it hits it's like the jackpot of feeling relief and feeling excited and feeling uh satisfied is 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 worth that that kind of torture of making the music does it really feel like torture no it seems like it comes fairly easily to you yeah i'm not working in a fucking coal mine uh <laughs> <laughs> I always try to be careful. Sometimes I find myself talking about songwriting. I'm like, I sound like a fucking asshole. Like this stuff is not that hard. What's challenging uh, and what makes it feel like torture sometimes is the constant comparison. I think if I had like the men in black thing where you could like make people forget that stick thing that like makes people forget their like what just happened. Yeah. If I had one of those and I could erase all the context of my songwriting career in my life, I think I would love songwriting so much more. I always find myself comparing whatever I'm doing in the moment to what I made before. You know, the comparison, it's, it's a thief of all joy. Yeah. And he's the most successful thief in the fucking history of my life. Like, it's just always, I'm always comparing myself. And so you kind of are already losing when you do that. And I feel like I set myself up for failure in that way. And it requires a real willingness to, to sit in that feeling of, of comparing yourself and to let it go um, to make the songwriting feel exciting and fun. And, I, and I've gotten better at that, but it's still, uh, it's still something I practice. What do you think is the best song you've ever written? And you're comparing in your mind, like, what, what are you putting it up against? I think right now, I think my favorite song I've ever made would be Homesick. Because when I listen back to that song, I'm not only excited about the lyrics and about the story, but also the, some of the risks that I took in the instrumentation, the musicality of it. It was a one of the first songs I had that was like rocking and like let the band play a little bit and allowed space to happen in a way that still felt compelling. A lot of times I just stuff words over everything so that there's no one can find out that I'm playing the same three chords over and over again. But with Homesick, I felt like I allowed myself to just take a risk that people were invested enough in the song that I could have some moments to be musical and to be experimental musically. Um, 
in the context of my own music, by the way, uh, experimental and allow that to to live and to not feel like I need to smother that with lyrics. So that song I'm really excited by. Another song, a a lot of times I find the songs that I am most proud of are the ones that I still relate to years later. A song like Youngblood is just uh, a song I wrote when I was 18 or 19 years old and I still feel like I connect to those lyrics so much and and they still feel mature to me and, and exciting to me. And that's always cool, you know, to look back at a song that was written eight years ago and to feel like it was a representation of who I am, you know, at 26. What part in particular are you thinking of? I, I, I think from like a songwriting standpoint, I really like just the melody choices in that song. Like I, I like that, you know, ascending melody that comes into falsetto and, and comes out. You know, it's not like a vocal run that someone's trying to be like an impressive vocal run, you know, or you're trying to like flex your vocal muscles. It's really just like an emotional vocal run that I thought was really, you know, it's funny to talk about myself in the past. But I thought it was clever. And then lyrically, I think that that kind of mantra style of lyric aged really well. A lot of times mantras change as we change our principles and perspective, but that perspective yeah. has still stuck with me and has, has felt very relevant to my career now. Is there anything you're embarrassed about? Or anything you've said in a song, any lines that you thought were like incredible when you wrote them, your younger self wrote them, that you're like, I got it. Like, I figured it out. And you listen to it now and you're like, oh, my God. Definitely. I think if you gave me 20 minutes, I could come up with a list of a thousand things I'm embarrassed (laughs) about. Uh, But I think I'm mostly embarrassed about how much I tried to hide my singing voice. I think I tried to be really cute and stylistic and affected with my singing voice a lot of times. Hiding because I didn't feel like I had a very good voice and that I had to be like more unique or like indie sounding. And I think I kind of adjusted it in some songs to feel like I was something worth listening to. Uh, and it wasn't until I started to kind of, you know, with taking vocal lessons, but also just allowing myself to sing more naturally that I started to feel really proud of my, my voice as it is and be comfortable with it and come to terms with that. So I look back, I'm like, man, you should have sang that part. Like, yeah. who cares if you sound a little nasally or if like, you sound a little bit a little bit sharp in that moment. We got auto-tune, baby. Like, you should have <laughs> just tried to sing it. So sometimes I look back and I'm a little bit ashamed of not trusting my voice a little earlier. Are there things that you're excited to try, like new ideas, new ways you're going to stretch either your voice or songwriting or different musical ideas that you're looking forward to trying on your next album? Yeah, totally. We, uh, I was working, messing around in the studio a couple of days ago with Gabe Simon, who produced Six Season with me, and Conrad Snyder, who engineered it, and Carrie, who played drums on a lot of the songs. We were just jamming out and playing some kind of like, some like Radiohead type stuff where I was really wailing, singing, and it was really fun to kind of like wail and, and to not be so precious with the words and to let the, the singing like the actual notes you know carry the emotion was really cool and something that i want to you know try a little bit more i like we place uh so many shows that i want every song to be really fun to play live yeah i was going to ask you about that when you're writing songs there's certain songs that you have that seem like they were created with a live performance in mind like some of the songs where mm-hmm. it starts out quiet and then it just explodes like wall of sound you know once the chorus hits or even you know as the verse develops is that something you think about when you're writing a hundred percent i do yeah i just think about how can we make this part as exciting as possible and what has happened with a lot of the songs you know on stick season on the deluxe and some of the stuff that i'm writing now is that i really love doing songs that don't have repeating parts so it feels like a legitimate like roller coaster ride for the fans. Like you have a start of something that's slow and builds and it comes into a crazy place and goes into a different verse that's a different melody and different lyric and to a different chorus. Just 
allowing myself to kind of create a little bit of a journey and, and tell a story in the music instead of feeling like, you know, it's that pop formula of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, drop, chorus, verse. Um, and being able to kind of step away from that is really fun. And knowing that live, it's going to be so exciting. Yeah. You know, there are songs like a song we have called Your Needs, My Needs that does that, that just starts little and just explodes. Yeah. And it's the best moment of, of the set live. And it's, you know, certainly not the most streamed song, but it's that song that really lives for the live performance. And, um, you know, just to, anecdotally, like I, when I lived in New York, one thing that I loved about New York was every week, at least two or three nights a week, I'd go see a show. And sometimes I'd be at Webster Hall or Brooklyn Steel or MSG or whatever. But yeah, yeah. a lot of times it was at, you know, Bowery Ballroom or Mercury Lounge, seeing little artists and small artists walking away and being like, I know that artist so much better than I ever could if I listened on Spotify because I got to hear him live. Yeah, yeah, And that yeah. was something that really inspired me. How much are you changing the songs live? Because I know as a music fan, sometimes you go and see an artist you love and when they change the songs too much, you're a little bit pissed because you kind of want to sing along to what you know. So how much are you actually changing the songs when you're performing live? Well, we always keep the parts that are recorded in the song. So we always make sure that we sing every lyric and every verse and chorus gets their own moment. We add a lot. Sometimes we'll add a moment for my band to solo. Uh Like these guys, it's funny. These guys are world-class musicians that are having to play A, E minor, C, F. And I'm like, give these dudes a second to jam out a little bit because they are talented and should showcase it. And so we let the band play and they have fun and and we change it based on each crowd. Sometimes we change, we add a chorus if the crowd is screaming every word and let them sing a little bit longer. Sometimes we'll be like, this crowd fucking hates this song. Let's just do the regular version of it. Yeah, It's really a crowd by crowd, show by show thing. What's the song that gets the biggest reaction from the crowds? Well, we play Northern Attitude first, which is really fun because um, it just is a real sing-along tune and people are already excited for us to be coming out and they're kind of like excited that it's a song they definitely know. Yeah. Um, that song gets a great response. We let them sing the chorus at the end, which is super cool. It's funny, like Paul Revere is a song that gets a lot of attention live, which is just like a specific song about like a New England, le- I guess, legend, I guess you could say, or like old, it's just like an old, a lot of New England references and wherever I am. That's always a fun one to play. We're going to take a quick break and then come back with more from Leah Rose and Noah Khan. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with the Apple Pay purchases. And 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. We're back with Leah Rose and Noah Kahn. With Northern Attitude, the, the lyrics are very literary and it's like you're outlining the major strokes of someone's life. Did you have somebody specific in mind when you wrote that song? Yeah, I think there are elements of it that I take from my dad and elements that I see in friends, parents, and uh, lots of children of divorce. You know, this feeling of what now? And this is who I am, but you kind of have to start over. And I have so much respect for my dad and for my mom because it takes a lot of courage to do something like that. It's so easy to be stuck in. It's so easy to stay in what's comfortable, even if it's making you miserable. I know all about it. Uh, And I have so much respect for people that make that decision for themselves. And I have so much respect for the journey afterwards of discover, rediscovery and reevaluation. And that stuff is really hard to do uh, at any age, but particularly when you've lived a life a certain way for a long time. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely inspiration for my, for my pops. And I, I think there's some hope in it too, you know, like this feeling of accepting yourself and being able to evaluate yourself critically and, and explaining that to somebody is uh, is an important step in, in growth and change. And those are themes I want to evaluate in that too. During the pandemic, when you started uploading like little snippets of songs to TikTok, how much did you think about how you were framed in the shot and like how intimate and how up close it was, especially since you were talking about being self-conscious about your voice because you're like right up in there, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's great for the people watching it because it's like, it's very vulnerable, but like people really feel like they know you because we're like so close to you. So you can see the fucking pores in my nose. Um, <laughs> yeah, I honestly didn't think about it at all. Like I, I tell people like every phone. Fo- I have a nice new phone. Every photo I've ever taken on a nice phone looks like it was taken from an iPhone two. Like I have, <laughs> I have such a poor grasp on technology. I have such a poor grasp on aesthetics. Like I was the guy in high school that would post a terrible photo of a sunset every like five months. And then that was like my Instagram presence. Um, that was it. That's all no I ever engagement. wanted. It was a, <laughs> no engagement, no like the like it myself, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Nine likes. And I was like, I'm famous, you know? So I, uh, I 
I was never very like aesthetically uh, intuitive and social media challenge was definitely part of my <laughs> part of my life for a long time. So when I was making the TikToks, I was just like, all right, it looks like you just put the camera up here and hopefully the acoustics sound good. And like my biggest nightmare is editing the lyrics on the screen. Like I, I cannot stand making the lyrics on the screen because then you get one wrong and to watch the whole video again. And back in the, when I started, I was kind of just like, look, I'm making music and I'm a sucker for validation. And so let's see what people think of this little idea. And <laughs> and what was so cool was that it really did inspire confidence in me. And, and the response, you know, any response yeah. was helpful for me. People not liking it was like, okay, like they don't like that one. Do I like it enough to keep it going? Like, yeah. And sometimes I had to be like, I don't care what they think. And then I put the, put the full version on. People loved it. So it was a way to kind of, you know, road, like the road test things when there was no road to test them on. Yeah, you're like crowdsourcing stuff. And then how seriously do you take the comments? Because I'm sure there's like a lot of um, conflicting opinions. Like, would you actually mold stuff based on feedback you were getting? No, no, not really. I think like I would say, okay, like there seems to be a positive response to this. A lot of times I would, you know, for like a song like Homesick, I was trying to be really specific about New England, about my town. And and I was worried that it wouldn't come across. So when people were like, oh, like I'm getting this idea that you had it inspired me to finish writing the song with the same level of specificity instead of being uh, of making it more vague or trying to be more relatable. It, it did help, you know, influence the intention. I never like would change lyrics or, or anything like that. Um, but I definitely feel like the input that I got was helpful. Yeah. You know, and comments sometimes, like if I got a hurtful comment, like I would feel hurt for sure. Yeah. I always say like, I must, I do feel like hurt by uh, hurtful comments and, um, by people being uh, mean or someone, you know, I, I get it. Like, I get why people do that. You scroll across a video that, like, you didn't want to see, and you're like, fuck you, asshole. And you're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't think about what it might be, how it might be received. Totally. I don't know if you ever left hurtful comments for anybody, but now that you're, like, public and you're out there and you're reading comments about yourself, has that changed the way that you comment? I think in my past, I probably did. Like, I, I was just, like, a kid like everybody else, and I know what it's like to now that I know what it's like to be hurt like that um, yeah it it really makes you think about how you talk to people I still feel if I'll, I can read the hundred positive comments and, and one negative comment like just fucks me up and it sucks because you're like you're so wrong like, I want to get into the weeds of this person and be I like know. well this is why you're an asshole or this is why you're wrong I'm like and then you do that and you've already lost you know you've you've lost time and you've lost confidence so I try to just do my best to not see them and not look at them. Um, yeah. What always helps me is when I I have been in a place where you feel the need to lash out at people and to be hurtful to people. And I know how lonely yeah. and fucking awful that, that space feels and how empty it is. And so I think when I see someone leave a comment like that, I try to zoom in into their bedroom and like look at them and be like, what are you going through right now? Do you really need me coming back? Uh, and shitting on you right back or like did this person maybe just need to get that anger and pain out and if I can accept that and move on from that and it makes you feel better that sucks for you and that's what you're doing but I'm not gonna stand in the way or whatever your process is man like you got shit to deal with yeah I love that by the way like I, I binge your TikToks I watch all of them and there was one where I think it was some sort of like um, maybe like an eating disorder awareness month post. Mm -hmm. And I just really appreciate that you talk about just struggles that you've had or because we don't normally hear guys talk about body image issues or, you know, eating disorders or anything like that. So I just really appreciated that. Thanks. Yeah, that song, um, 
I never ever talked to anybody about that still even really. Um, and so that song was kind of surprised me with how I felt about how real it felt for me and how true it felt to my experience listening to that song. I'm being like, man, I'm, I've never had an outlet for this feeling ever. I've gone to therapy for a long time and I've made a lot of progress in my own life, I think, but that's something that I still haven't touched on. And so it felt like it surprised my, my lyrics and like the, I guess the vulnerability and some of those lyrics surprised me and, I won't name names, but I played that song on tour. Uh, I did it for the first time. It's really just a heavy song to play. It's hard for me to play it. Um, so I played it once for World Mental Health Day, and people in my crew, guys my on my tour, you know, tough guys and guys that didn't say much or didn't speak much, privately took me aside and said, thank you for talking about that. And I don't want to keep the conversation that, you know, this is just a male problem. It's absolutely not. But yeah. it's, it is, I think, more rare at least in my experience, in my exposure, that for men to talk about these things. Um, and so I saw that in real time, what the impact might be uh, for, for for men struggling with eating disorders. And that was something that was really encouraging to feel like I had this really painful, uh, painful song and painful feeling that I wasn't alone in for a second. Uh, it was really yeah. nice. How has it been for you performing on TV, like dealing with things like that, knowing that you've had issues in your past, like, you know, you recently played SNL, which is fucking awesome. And it sounds like it was nice. always a dream for you. And you guys killed it. You sounded so good. Oh, thanks. And you had your hair slicked back. It was kind of like... <laughs> samurai, the samurai bamboo. <laughs> <laughs> but how is that for you seeing yourself on TV? Do you, like, pick yourself apart? Are you proud of yourself? Like, what's the reaction internally for you? Well, I've done a lot of them at this point now. So I feel like I used to pick myself apart a lot more. It's so interesting. Like I get hair and makeup done and the hair and makeup people and everyone is like, that's how like it looks great. We just did your hair and makeup. I'm like, oh, I think that looks awful. So I think my opinion on like what is attractive or what is like good is different than like what the greater public is. So I like go and be like, man, I should have like wore my hair down and like throw it across my face. And people are like, no, like pull your hair back. So I, I feel like I try to not pick myself apart and trust that the people that are in charge of making me look good have done a good job. But it is it is hard to to see myself on stage it just is weird it's like unnatural i think to observe myself especially when i'm like in that moment on snl i was trying to have fun and like hang out with my band and enjoy the moment so much that like looking at that and analyzing that like it doesn't help me at all i think being critical of what you look like in a moment of letting go is um probably not healthy so i try not to but i was really happy because i saw myself and i was like that is me when i'm having a good time yeah you looked like you're having a great time it wasn't like faux excitement or like, you know, bullshit, like smarmy, charmy shit. It was like I was having a fucking blast hanging out with my band yeah. and my buddies. And that I, I I was happy to see that come through in the way that I felt then on stage. What was like the behind the scenes like at SNL? Like, did you get to go to the after party? And what was it like being the live musical act? SNL was a trip. It was like a full on the entire thing was a trip. I had been home from tour for about a week and was kind of finally starting to feel like in my human, not everything is about me mode where like you're no longer like promoting yourself on the road. And I was kind of withdrawing from like this, the uh, outward talking to a lot of people and I was quiet. And then suddenly it was like down the New York, you're in the fitting in the green room. You're about to do the sound, the, the sound check. And, you know, like there's all these famous people on the walls and you don't really even have time to process it. And then it's like, press and promo like Noah like how does it feel to be blah, 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 blah. like all these questions about me and I started to be like I felt like I was like waking up from a long nap of like oh fuck I gotta go back into this like 
talk about Noah mode again. And so it, it took me a, a little bit to adjust. Is it like a week long process? So Wednesday night we get there and we have the fitting, order of fitting Wednesday night at the hotel. And then Thursday is like the first day of, of rehearsal and sound check and and they filmed the promos and oh dude, filming the promo was so bad. I was like one of the maybe one of the most embarrassed moments of my career was, you know, they have like a little script they made for me that I got like literally five seconds before I had to do it. Emma Stone is right there with the other uh, actor, Sarah Sherman. And uh, they were standing there in front of the camera and I was like learning my lines and was just shoved on stage next to them. And like, wow. So I was so anxious. And Do you have acting chops? Like, did you know how to deliver a line? <laughs> so this is the thing. I always thought that I was like, my, my band members were like, you got to get into acting. And like, I always found myself to be, I would, you know, not the two-man horn. I think I like, I know my way around a joke. I think I can be a little funny. I can, I got some deadpan shit going on. So I was yeah. like, yeah, I, I can crush this acting shit. It's just easy as fuck. <laughs> just say some shit and be funny and look funny. And I got on there and have never felt less in my element and more nervous. I was reading, and it felt like I was like looking at like a PowerPoint and trying to read off the word. It was so bad. I felt so unnatural. So I just like went in the nervous you know, survival mode and read the lines and didn't like improv at all. And so that was a, a tough one. And it kind of made me feel like I was cursed. <laughs> I kind of felt like the whole weekend was going to, I was like, I was like, well, I just embarrassed myself in front of most of the crew, some of the cast. Uh, and on Saturday, I'll embarrass myself in front of all of the crew and all of the cast and all of America as well. Uh, like my mind, I was so negative, you know, <laughs> like this is a bad omen. Um, yeah. Just a little glimpse into my like confidence. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm going to suck no matter what. And the next day was, kind of nice i gotta like kind of recalibrate this the clip was posted on social media people were generally nice no one was like no one was like no it was the worst actor ever the expectation was not that i was going to be a great actor and so i i swallowed the pill of not being a great actor i was not asked to do any sketches i assumed they saw the promo where like this guy's not going in a sketch which means i don't have to do that again let's just get my head around the performance on the day of the performance i was having trouble with my voice and was i always have trouble with my voice on the, on the day of a big show like always just like I feel like I have a cold, like a psychosomatic vibes, like my throat starts to hurt. So all day I'm just like thinking about it, drinking water and like trying to hype myself up. And I pulled up to SNL wearing all black. I had sunglasses at the nighttime, like super douche mode, like listening to Pusha T on my headphones, just trying to hype myself, trying to feel confident. It's <laughs> uh, like the dude in succession, Kendall Roy. Literally <laughs> like Kendall Roy. Like they drove me in like one of those nice town cars, the driver, he like held the door with me like, what's up brother? And then I get in and, I'm listening to a nostalgia by Pusha T and and just trying to make myself feel like Kendall Roy for a second. Um, yes. So I'm funny because actually Kieran Culkin was actually at the show that night, which is funny. I probably should have told him that. Uh, so we all we went out and my my best friends were out at the taping. I saw them up there and we performed the first song and we crushed it and I think and had a lot of fun. And then before the second song, like my little brother was like, dude. Malia Obama, Miles Taylor, Scarlett Johansson are all right there. Um, what a crew. And watching the show. and so, Yeah. And so I was on the second performance. just thought it was so funny to, to look up and see my high school friends. Then they'll look down and see Miles Taylor. Like the, the contrast was just hilarious. And it just made it kind of fun and silly. And, and we had a blast. After party was very cool, like super overwhelming. And where's it at? Like at a like a club or a restaurant or is it at the actual SNL? I think it's actually at the Illuminati headquarters. Uh, <laughs> I think I had to I had to cut a thing on my wrist and like I don't know some guy put my butt into a vial then I got let in. Now I uh, I don't know somewhere somewhere fancy and schmancy. They had like a 
menu with my name on it and Emma's name on it, which was hilarious. Yeah, all sorts of famous hot people milling around the room. Everyone looked famous. Like, it could have been the guy that, like, parks the cars. And, like, I would have assumed that he was, like, an Oscar-winning actor. Everyone, to me, looked famous and successful. Well-groomed. I felt like a fucking moron walking around there. Like, my whole family by my side were all like, where should we go? And, (laughs) you know, it was cool. We're going to pause for another quick break, and then we'll come back with more from Noah Khan. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. We're back with the rest of Leah Rose's conversation with Noah Khan. So stick season must feel like it's like very much in the rear view mirror, even though you're out on the road 
you just did a national tour. You're about to do a worldwide tour playing the music. But what, like, what have you been working on? Like, what can you tell us about new music? Uh, we have a new song recorded uh, called Forever that we've been playing on the road. And besides that, I just haven't had a ton of time. I've been writing new music. I'm always writing and working on new things. But, you know, I, like the, the stick season being such a natural and like creatively fulfilling, you know, journey for me is kind of like created this complex of like, I only want it to be like that. And so I simply haven't had a break in about a year. I haven't had more than like a week off in a long, long time. And so I'm just kind of giving myself the time I do get off to try to find that feeling and try to find that feeling of freedom and create creative fulfillment that I, I had back then. And keeping new music or any commitments to like an album at, a, at arm's length until I'm, I feel wrapped around something in that same way, but still working on more collaborations uh, and yeah. just trying to kind of find things to keep me excited. Any new collaborations you can talk about? I'm waiting for the Justin Vernon song to drop. Yeah, me and you both. I wish I could get one with Justin Vernon. Have you talked to him? Have you met him? I have met Justin, yeah. It was one of the the most cool, crazy nights of my life. I met him at Hinterland. He is my hero. Getting to talk to him and getting a chance to pick his brain about music and about the industry it was really interesting, a really cool experience. But I, I never want to be that guy that's like, dude, it's so cool hanging out with you. Like, we got to get a collab in the work. You know, like that's... Isn't that what people say, though? Like, you're like, hey, like, let's do something. Yes, and I hate it. <laughs> Let's get a transaction in here, man. Like now that we hung <laughs> out, like let's do something that boosts my career. Uh, I think that's that that stuff grosses me out sometimes. So I, I try to be careful about. But I think at some point in the future, I would absolutely love to collaborate with Justin if he was ever interested in doing that. But we have, you know, at least three more more collaborations coming that are are really cool and with artists that I adore and that everyone adores, and um, I am excited for the world to see them. How are you feeling about the way that you've been covered or the way your story is written about? I know the New York Times just did a big piece on you. You were on the front cover of the Times. I saw at least the digital version. You were like right mm -hmm. up there next to like Trump or something. Okay. How are you feeling about the way your story is being told? I think like there's always going to be a... Um a framework in which people want to talk about you just because it's uh, if you just get down to the complete and total story you lose a form of narrative i i know people you know the reference if you're bringing back this era that nobody wants anymore and to feel like that is like a negative connotation for some reason has been confusing to me uh, i know that the pendulum really swung away from that in a musical way in terms of what was happening on the radio uh after like the you know, mid early mid 2010s, but I always found that music to be really well written and incredibly powerful. So to hear that as a as maybe an attempt at an insult or a criticism or like a God, we're so tired of this shit. I I feel bad for the people who put their livelihood in, into making that music because I care about it a lot and I think it's important. And um, you know, that's been my only qualm. I th I am happen to be being covered. I think it's it's cool that people care enough to talk about me. Uh, my friends from New Hampshire. I saw live in New Hampshire and Vermont, and uh, people from New Hampshire are like you're not from Vermont. And people from Vermont are like you're not from New Hampshire. Yes. That's that regional uh, tension is definitely there. I uh, I've had to do a better job of being clear. You know, I'll talk to someone you know from California or uh, yeah. somebody from New York, and they're like, we don't give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> like you're like you're in Canada. We don't give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I again, I think it's. The nature of, you know, being a white male singer-songwriter isn't exactly a unique 
place to be. I think there's been many of me, at least this kind of this kind of vibe, like out of the guitar. Uh, so with I think feelings with feelings, right? You know, they said in the article, the most pop music's newest sensitive woodsman. I think an author or writer wants to find a way to make your story seem specific and to seem like it separates you. And so I think they're coming to a small town, coming to my house, and they're talking about how that looks and how that feels unique to my experience. Yeah. I, I feel like the way I've been covered has been very fair. I think I shy away from making myself a story. I, I just, I do like to have my life be about the music and have my career be about the music. And if that's not enough to be on the on national headlines and I'll just play for a thousand people and be boring, um, I'm fine with that. I think I've kind of been thrust in this world of like a mass exposure that I'm still learning to handle and learning how to, how to navigate. Um, I know it's, it's a hard, it's a really weird process to describe if you haven't been through it. Yeah. I think what's, what's hard is, um, just never feeling like I'm alone. Like I'm already the guy that like, when I smoke weed, I'm like, everybody is looking at me, you know? And, and so I'll get off an airport in Boston or in, in Vermont or wherever and be like, Oh, everyone, I think people here actually are looking at me. And that's like, an overexposed feeling and then you find yourself like acting different because you're you know like if people are watching you that you want to like come across as being normal looking or like not picking your nose or fucking wiping your hands and your shirt or whatever like you feel you feel like you're performing all the time and i fucking i i don't know i don't have i don't have much to say most of the time i'm kind of just like a grumpy dude walking around the world like for example yes but two days ago i was in the car driving to another interview and uh in, in nashville and this person behind me was like tailgating me like a fucking psycho. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, like this person's about like driving like a nut job. They passed me and they were super close and swerving in and out. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like out my window, like, very New England, not out my window, but at my window. And they look over and they're just filming me. And I was like, oh my God. It's like I'm in the Truman show, dude. Like I, I'm like, I can't have an authentic, angry experience <laughs> or like right. I can't be having an emotional response to something because I'm so worried about it being like, someone that's a fan or like hurting their feelings or coming across as being a dick or whatever but I was like so exhausting you're gonna kill me I'm exhausted I'm tired I'm tired of I can't get killed in traffic just because I want to be polite you know <laughs> yeah and then it makes you understand I'm sure now you have like a different level of understanding why some people like who are in the public eye or people who are like super famous like end up the way they end up I've, I've never had more respect for him yeah you know I've never had more respect for somebody that says I don't want to do this anymore it has it's no longer about the music it's about everything else and and it hasn't become it hasn't gone to that point for me um i have incredibly respectful fans like i really do they really respect me and my space and my privacy and my boundaries but man it, like just if you're somebody that doesn't like uh, the attention and doesn't like um the demand of everything besides making music then i can only imagine why anyone would want to be you know famous or recognized as fucking invasive as hell right and yeah. less so for me than it is for you know being a woman and having the success and having you know the sexualization and the questions about your dating life and that's got to be fucking brutal and just like having to put up with people asking about stuff that's not even about the music you know like that's about your personal life and about stuff that you don't put on display for people um fuck that shit for sure yeah <laughs> if, if you ever want to fly into the Boston airport with me and see a bunch of dads and their daughters turn around like you listen to that guy right and, uh, and you want to see how it feels it's not bad it's just like if you're tired or hungover dude oh bro being hungover and like having to like walk into like having to take a shower you just want to not take a shower some days and like walk outside 
And you're like, you gotta be, you gotta be taking a shower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you talk about, I just want to be stay focused on the music, like the fame thing can kind of come and go. And if it burns out, cool. As long as like the music focus is there. How are you so sure that music is the life path? Have you ever thought about, oh, I might want to be, you know, like maybe I want to be an architect. Like, has there ever been another vision or has it always just been music? There's never been, a, never been anything else. I think I've thought like critically and realistically, like if it doesn't happen, like what would I want to do? And there are things that I could do. I, I've always said that I wish I could be, uh, I would probably do something like social work or psychology. Um, yeah. Some of that, like I'm really interested in just like people and their behaviors and what makes them tick and like what makes them, what what, what they're about and how their past affects their future or whatever. That's always been really interesting to me, but like fundamentally, no, I've never had any other plan or vision for myself whatsoever. Like music and writing songs has been, from the very beginning, the only thing I've ever, ever wanted. That's so cool that you know that. Isn't it cool? Yeah, I, it was cool when I got a record deal, but it was not cool before when I was like, this is all I want and I might not be able to fucking do it. That would suck. You know, I'm just like so aware of like the sadness it is to see somebody that like tried to be a musician and like it didn't work out and to see them like work in a cubicle afterwards and be like, yeah, that sucks, dude. Because I know every single day you're, you're like looking at the picture of you in the talent show and wishing that was you now and I could like see that picture in my head even when I was like 15. I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to be the guy in the cubicle. Like, no, no, no. And uh, I was very grateful to have had the the drive, but also the opportunity and the frankly, the privilege of being in a place that allowed me to go to a recording studio and to, you know, parents that were like willing to say, you don't have to go to college, you know, like you can go make, take the record deal. Um, I grew up in a wicked nice area that I think contributed a lot to the opportunity and the ability to take the opportunity combined with like what really was like even as a kid like a super crazy work ethic for music like i wouldn't do my homework i would get fucking c's and b minuses but like i would every day be writing a song or working on something like it was an every day for years and years grind for me how did your parents think about you writing songs like were they like wow he we have like a musically gifted son or was it just sort of like thought of as a hobby um uh, my mom was an author and so she was very, I think from a certain point, she definitely saw some like potential and talent, I think, and um, helped me hone it and was like a really amazing resource for me growing up. Just having someone that knows their way around writer's block and writing process and, um, you know, creative struggles, you know, they, any any number of them and knows how to like kind of have been there before because writer's block, that shit's hard. And like to get through that is really hard. And it happens at every level. You know, some people say there's no such thing as writer's block, and maybe that's true, but I think we can all agree that sometimes you just don't have anything to say and you feel like you can't get the words out. And my mom would just sit me down and give me a blank piece of paper and say, write for 30 minutes, write anything that comes to your head. Doesn't matter what it is, write things down because the muscle memory kind of does kick in after a little while and you start to like remember how to work it. I think if you go into that mode of like, I'm going to wait until I'm inspired to make music or to write something is when you can get into some real trouble because the time since you last wrote your thing gets greater and greater and your your muscle isn't as isn't as worked out and you're frustrated at yourself for not being as good as you were the last time and i think if you build slowly each day trying to put a pen to paper that you can really yeah. work your way out of those things do you have like a specific set of conditions that you found lead to writing a good song like i interviewed matt berninger the lead singer of the national and he said his oh, thing cool. is like weed and iced tea in the afternoon 
like that combo. <laughs> that's, that's like awesome. his winning. It's kind of perfect. I think the most consistent thing has been weed. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> like I do really work right well when I'm like smoking weed or getting high. And I don't know. It just kind of takes me away from like my inner dialogue for a second or like at least changes it. Vermont really is like, you know, here comes here goes the sensitive woodsman again. Uh, Vermont really <laughs> is a uh, a place that is is conducive to like inspiration for me. I, I feel really like myself there. Uh, I feel yeah. very comfortable there. I think the biggest common denominator between all the good songs that I've made have come from a fuck it mindset. Whether that be like, this will never go to any, this will never be released, so I might as well write it. Or I've been writing all day. I've made absolutely fucking nothing good. I'm angry at myself. I'm upset. And then suddenly, like, there it is. You know, just that release of just being like, I'm just going to give myself up to uh, whatever comes out of my mouth or my whatever gets written down next. So uh, I think weed, a level of, like, disinterest and being in Vermont is helpful. And then how high are you getting? Are you, like, getting dumb high or are you, like, uh, microdosing high? typically microdosing but like sometimes i'll get like dumb high i always say to my friends like i wish i could be you know like an hour after you smoked weed that's what i wish i could be the entire time like the first like five minutes of being like oh fuck like uh, i gotta call my mom like i shouldn't i shouldn't be in the car right now it's happening uh and then <laughs> and then like the hour later when you've like gotten over the hill of being too high and you're like oh i just feel like relaxed and chill and like funny and good to be around yeah. That's kind of where I need to get to. It's never like right away. The stuff I make right, right away is like so bad. I feel like I'm doing like Sergeant Peppers and just like making like weird, like fucking like stuff that sounds off tune and bad. And I mean, Sergeant Peppers is obviously amazing, but like the experimental stuff, I'm like, that's not, that's giving back to C and F. Free and jazz. Like, trying to get, yeah, exactly. You mentioned earlier listening to Pusha T. Like, since people love music recommendations, like, what else do you listen to? Like, what you're loving? Yes, I'm loving lots of stuff right now, but let me pull up what I'm listening to. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm listening to this Waxahachi song, Problem With It, which I really like. This guy, Craig Finn, made the song God in Chicago. Uh, Sam Fender recommended him to me, and uh, it's really fucking awesome. The new Hosier record, I think, is incredible. Uh, I'm getting into Alex G on my moody yeah. shit. That song, Poison Root, I really enjoy. He's super cool. So fucking cool. That shit, dude. So cool. I love that. I love that freedom of just being like super loose with the genres. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm getting the vibe that you might that might be in your future at some point. I think that's kind of the thing with like all these cool things that have happened this year is that I'm like checking off all these amazing boxes so that on my next thing, I'm not like, well, I got to play the song that gets I got to write the song that gets me on SNL. Like, I already did SNL, dog. Like, I don't, yeah, or I got a, got a Grammy nomination. I'm going to go make the music that I want. Like, whatever. I've had all these. I've achieved all these cool things. And uh, now I feel like I have the freedom to uh, do whatever I want because I'm not trying to, I've pretty much done everything I've ever wanted to do in my career. You know, I feel like that's what people say before they get hit by a car or something, but I'm, so I'm not going to look, but <laughs> the bad omens again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're getting a real insight into my brain. Uh, I hope this makes for a good podcast. Perfect. Are you already starting to think about what you would say if you win the Grammy? Yeah. I'm going to thank my mama for sure. If I won a Grammy, I would thank my, uh, mentor music mentor that i met when i was a younger kid who taught me how to be in a band and put me in a band and taught me everything about recording that guy changed my life he showed me he taught me what it was like to be a rock star i would thank tons of people all the, the label and the management and every person that's gotten me here but i think i would do a little shout out for my younger self because when i was a kid i would uh practice my grammy speech to make myself fall asleep when i was a little kid and uh when i got my grammy nomination i was like fuck yeah my eight-year-old self from a 10-year-old self 
He's probably pumped right now. <laughs> is that huge validation for you? It actually is, yeah. And I, I'm not somebody that feels the need for like total validation from like the the greater music community or whatever. But for some reason, the Grammy just like, man, it just was really was one of the greatest moments of my life and felt like nothing can can erase the fact that I got nominated for a Grammy and no level of yeah. failure or irrelevancy or whatever happens in my career. Like I'll always be able to look back and say, hey, at one point I got nominated for a Grammy and that's one that I can say the rest of my life. And that's, that's fun to have those things. They're very few and far between uh, at a musician's career. Hell yeah. Congratulations on all the success, but also like, I can't wait to hear what you put out. Hell yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for all the thoughtful questions and uh, for, you know, giving me things to think about on my own. Honestly, it was fun to talk to you and uh, just think that you're great. So thanks so much. Thanks to Noel Khan for taking us through his incredible year. You can hear the deluxe version of his latest album, Stick Season, along with some of his other music on a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced and edited by Leah Rose with marketing help from Eric Sandler and Jordan McMillan. Our engineer is Ben Tolliday. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like this show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, 
you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventionalawards. See you there.